is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Real-time crime. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Real Time Crime. I'm Leah Lamar with your new radio voice, and I have with me my co-host, Teddy Mellencamp. I can't even pause today because your new voice had me so um, (laughs) shocked. It's like I talked to Chris Cuomo one time. And uh, I've changed forever. And we've also got with us, of course, our favorite, sometimes Dimitri. Hello, sometimes. Hello. How are you? You know, I'm good, except for I was out until 5 a.m. last night. Yeah, I I was going to ask. I figured that's where the voice was coming from. It looks like you're still out. You like what? You're in a pitch black room. (laughs) You're backstage at a nightclub. Like she's at the Chippendales. We're going to discuss. I can't understand what like it's daylight here. Do you see? I mean, granted, can sometimes- you stop throwing dollar bills around? Sorry, what? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Why is it? I so feel like dark? you have a crystal ball and tarot cards in front of you. <laughs> like, what is happening? You guys are roasting the shit out of me. <laughs> well, I, I, the I, they need to see the clip of. I mean, all I see of you is your face. Everything else is pitch black. <laughs> I'm at the, I'm at the hotel. I almost disclosed my location. But, Ooh. um, you know, oof, bad, naughty Leah. I'm at a hotel in Austin. I'm here for South by Southwest. I've been doing two shows a night every night. Um, very tired. But why was I out until 5 a.m., you ask? I don't yeah. know. Does my ex live in Austin? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that is the crime. We knew it was coming. No, we... no, this. <laughs> what? This is worse. We had a. Very long conversation that included no sex was just both of us crying, holding each other, telling each other how much we meant to the other person. Sorry, that's the crime. I'm sorry. I'm disgusted. I I respected it when I thought it was just South by South sex, but now it's. Yeah, I I was fine with just the tips, but hugging and crying over missing one another. Like, why did you guys break up originally? 
Um, the truth is he's mentally ill in a way that isn't funny. <laughs> oh. But I can well, if you're listening. <laughs> well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, I hope you can go over and cuddle together again tonight. I can't believe we were just told that Leah's ex, someone she used to date is mentally ill and we can't touch that. And we have to just leave it. <laughs> someone that's more mentally ill than me, if you can imagine. <laughs> well, were, was he the sole one crying and holding him at 4 a.m. or were you doing the same? I'm just going to say he cried first. It, all, this isn't tip for say. tat. Men usually do. <laughs> <laughs> this is not tip for tat. And I need just send me a text of what he looks like real quick. I just need a full visual before we, you know, sure. we get into all the things. And- And also, I'll just say this. Um, I did another complete crime the other day where I was at an event where I had a show and I told these two guys, I said, I'll be right back. Can you guys watch my bag? And then they did. And then I was gone for an hour. (laughs) And I just assumed they left. You know, I was just like, whatever. Um, Whatever about your bag? What was in it? I mean, everything that I needed. Anyway, I mean, this so is Mark- this is extremely unsettling to the one that has been derailed since you lost her fanny pack. The fact uh, that you just just willy nilly left your bag just, with somebody for an hour, just free balling it without your bag on purpose. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, you know, I, someone came into the room that I wanted to talk to Ooh. and Mark Cuban. And of then, of course, you're <laughs> like, oh, is he rich? Has a headshot? Married? Check, check, check. Let me get over there. I already emailed him. I was like, let's play pickleball next week. Um, <laughs> Teddy, you're welcome to join us. <laughs> and um, I also just sent you a photo of my ex, by the way. Oh, great. Um, and then when I came back to my bag, these guys were like, are you insane? Are you meant? Are you mental? You left your bag with two strangers for an hour. <laughs> this guy literally started yelling at me. I was like, "Okay, Dad, I'm sorry." You know. Uh, Do you mind when you send me pictures of your ex to not send them with his girlfriend after you because it confuses my my sight. She's actually the girlfriend before me, and we do look very similar. Wait, I, I didn't, I I didn't get these pictures. That's what I'm saying. Like, don't. Sorry, Demetri, I'm sending it. Don't say. Well, the other thing about her ex is he has a type. <laughs> he has a very obvious type. Why does the ex look crazy as well? No, the ex looks, no. I honestly thought Leah was in these pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I send oh it to you, Dimitri, if you okay. want to just get a, get a right. glimpse. Here's the thing. We <laughs> don't have that much time to do hot topics, but there is one hot topic that I really do want to talk about before we have on J.D. Schwartz, who is the producer of Chippendales and that incredible documentary. But the, the hot topic I want to talk about is what's going on with Jesse. Okay, great. Let's do okay. it. Okay, so... After Jesse Smollett was sentenced to 150 days in jail and 30 months of probation for staging a hate crime against himself, the former Empire star is at the center of a free Jesse campaign with fellow actors speaking out. Alfrey Woodard, Samuel L. Jackson, his wife, and more previously asked Illinois Judge James B. Lynn asked to not sentence Smollett to prison time in a letter written to the judge. Jackson wrote that Smollett comes from a good family that can provide 
the support and monitoring assistance that they can provide for him in an, an alternative probation scenario. The Pulp Fiction star continued, Jesse has already suffered a great deal of punishment as this situation has destroyed his existing career and impugned his reputation. Please, Judge Lynn, in God's name, please save this young man and allow him to be of service. Jesse Smollett is worth the risk and the investment. Smollett was sentenced on March 10th after falsely alleging in 2019 that he was attacked by two men using racist and homophobic slurs. Jesse also openly says he is not suicidal. So if he ends up dead, you guys know what happened. Um, Taraji P. Henson later issued an Instagram statement condemning the sentence. I am not here to debate you on the innocence, but can we agree that the punishment does not fit the crime? Henson wrote. Emmett Till was brutally beat and ultimately murdered because of a lie and none of the people involved with his demise spent one day in jail. Even after Caroline Bryant admitted that her claims were false, no one was hurt or killed during Jesse's ordeal. He has already lost everything, everything. Henson continued, to me, as an artist, not able to create that in itself is punishment enough. He can't get a job. No one in Hollywood will hire him again. And as an artist who loves to create, that is prison. My prayer is that he is freed and put on house arrest and probation because in this case, that would seem fair. Please free Jesse. And then Gabrielle Union, Leslie Jordan, among others have liked this. What are y'all's thoughts on this? I thought that it would be a lot more powerful if Samuel L. Jackson didn't write a letter, but used his voice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Capital One commercial. Yeah. Everyone here's here's voice. the thing. Um, <laughs> the reason he doesn't have his career is because of something that he did. So in that respect, I don't think that's a good argument. But also I, I think in, in that same thing, didn't didn't we find out that he had to go into some sort of mental ward recently? Like, isn't probably the reason he did what he did was because allegedly because of some sort of mental illness. Well, then he should be sentenced. <laughs> he should be sentenced into some healthcare facility like that. But I don't think it's a matter of, oh, well, listen, he did, you know what? He lost his career. That's good enough because technically he's still denying it as well. So if he needs help, 100%, let's get him help. But I don't think it's just, all right, well, he shouldn't have to serve anything because he lied to police. He, he caused a, a bunch of resources and time and, the, the, and all that, you know, to, to be spent on this. So I don't think it's a matter of just, well, all right, come on. Yeah, I don't agree with the house arrest aspect of it. If, if you do a crime, you do a crime. However, if there is mental health involved, I do think that that type of facility should be the alternative. I agree. And if you do the crime, you do the time. Oh, my. <laughs> you have to get it in every time. But speaking of time, we have to well, take a little break because guess who's here? Oh, my God. Our guest. Our guest. I just want to really quickly say, Jesse. If you want to come back to the art world, the stand-up comedy community accepts literally everyone. So <laughs> welcome back to the art world. If you want to write some jokes while you're in prison, come join us after. All right. Back to you. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. <laughs> Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold Blooded The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, everyone, I am super excited to introduce our guest for today. This is J.D. Schwartz. He's a former producer of Chippendales, but now brings extensive public relations experience and the professional zeal of an aggressive New Yorker, so do I, to his approach of doing publicity. He has an eclectic roster of clients, but he is best known for his personality representation. Um, And, you know, he originally achieved a lot of success in theater in New York. And he is here with us today to talk about the secrets of the Chippendales murders and also just Chippendales in general. So it's incredible. It's a four-part docuseries. It's on A&E. It's on Monday nights. And it unveils the shocking story behind the Chippendales empire. And Chippendales was a nightclub that aimed to allure and please women with its scantily clad male dancers and vivacious music and quickly advanced toward a pop culture phenomenon until it came crashing down through exclusive interviews never before seen crime scene video and declassified fbi surveillance audio the special unravels the hidden tale of how sex jealousy arson hefty bags filled with cash and mafia shakedowns all led up to one of the most outrageous murders in american history and you know it's incredible i just think that you need to tune in asap ASAP, especially because you're listening to this podcast, so it's going to be even more interesting after getting a little more information behind the scenes, and especially what the club was all about before the murders. 
Hi, Jay. How are you? I'm good. How are you? We're so good. Hi. We're really glad to have you here. Hi. Thank you. Thank Hello. you for having me. I appreciate it. Just before we start, so you know, you know, and I've been trying to explain this to everybody, the murders, that's what this documentary is about, but that's not what Chippendales was about. The murders happened after the huge success and the craziness and the phenomenon of Chippendales. I opened and ran Chippendales in New York in 1983. I did all the hiring, the firing, and the guy was murdered. He was my boss. So I just want to give you that background here. The phenomenal success of the club, it was a cash business. So it just boiled down to greed. You taking money from me, you're stealing from me. What do you mean you're taking the show on the road? You know, it all came down to that. But that all happened after the fact. When we opened this club in New York, it was the hottest thing in New York. Everybody, it was Studio 54 and us. Okay, so just to backtrack a little bit, when you brought, how were you brought in originally to produce Chippendales? And what exactly does that mean? Okay, so I was working for a Broadway producer. We had a, a big hit show on Broadway called Hurley Burley. Okay. Bill Hurt, Chris Walken, Susie Kurtz, Cynthia Nixon. It was a big deal. His fiance, Barbara, who was also in the documentary, she was a club promoter. The owner of Magique, which was the club that Chippendales went into, called Barbara and said, hey, we're opening this club. You know, we're going to, a, not a club, we're opening, we're bringing Chippendales to our club. Would you come in and work to help us open the club? Hurley Burley was a huge hit on Broadway. So she said, well, I can't do it, but I'll send our assistant to go. And, you know, I didn't want to go because the entertainment business is where I was. I was working on a Broadway producer's office. I went reluctantly. And she said, just go and then you'll come back, you know, after the club is open. So I went and I met with Nick, who is the guy who got murdered, who, by the way, you have to tell me like how honest and and uh, frank I can be here. Lay it as all out there. Frank yeah. As no. we possibly can be. We love it. Because mm -hmm. he was a dick. <laughs> Nobody liked him. I mean, and especially me. He treated me horribly. Think of Harvey Weinstein and Scott Rudin. That's who this guy was. He was just an ego, an egomaniacal son of a bitch. We called him Nick the Dick. Um, he was one of Jennifer O'Neill's eight husbands. He was in the closet. And uh, the marquee in front of the club said, Magique presents Chippendales, conceived, written, produced, and directed by Nick DeNoia. Because he wanted all the credit for everything. And he just treated people very, very poorly. So I went, met him at a, a restaurant on, uh, on Broadway uh, called JR's on 46th Street. And we went, we had dinner and I said, okay, I would do this. Not knowing what, really what this was. I had no idea what Chippendales was. I was 25 years old. I was out of college. I, you know, I was working in a press office uh, up for Broadway shows and I really didn't know what this was, but I was also in a really good situation in the Broadway office I was working in because 
I was hanging out. Uh, there's a, a restaurant in New York City called um, Cafe Central. So I was hanging out every night with Chris Walken and Danny Aiello and Bruce Willis. And these are the, the New York actors that came into this restaurant every night to hang out. So I was a part of that. So I was really very reluctant to give up sort of my entree to go work in a club. Like, who wants to go work in a club? Um, and so I So started, what did it, though? So what made you... My, but my, so my job was... Um, I did all the hiring. I did all the firing. I was in charge of anything and everything that made this show happen from when we started that summer, you know, to them rebuilding the club to the rehearsals to, you know, models would come in all the time and, and, you know, to get jobs, you had to be six feet tall, you had to take your shirt off, which was a very uncomfortable thing for me to say to another guy, take your shirt off. Um, but that was the job because you had to look, you know, you had to be ripped. You had to look a certain way. Nowadays, it's like, oh, take your shirt off. And I need to see, or even after I got into it, I was, oh, you know, it's part of the job. It's like, it's, it's not a big deal. Yeah, in Hollywood nowadays, guys go to auditions without their shirt to begin with. You don't even have to ask them to take it off. And the audition usually happens in my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But to go back even before you started, so it started with Steve Banerjee founding the So the beginning of the club. So the club, Steve Banerjee was an immigrant from India who came here with an American dream. He bought, he, he realized that discos were a big deal in New York. So he figured it would work its way out to LA. He bought this old chess club. If you can believe there were chess clubs on (laughs) Overland Avenue in West LA. And he wanted to turn it into a disco. This guy named, you might've heard of him, Paul Snyder, who was married Mm -hmm. to Dorothy Stratton. The movie Star 80 was based on that. Yes. Came into the club and said, Steve, what you need to do is, is make us a male strip club and, um, you know, I'll help you here and I'll be your MC. Well, Paul was kind of a guy that, like, he was a wannabe, you know, like, I'll be your MC. And he had no clue on how to be an MC. He could barely, you know, get words Sounds out, about right. You know, um, but his claim to fame was that he married Dorothy Stratton and then killed her and then killed himself. Um, so after Steve fired, a claim to fame. Yeah. <laughs> after Steve fired Paul, he met Nick. Nick came into the club and Nick said, oh, I could do this. I'll make a, you know, a show out of this. You know, Nick again. So I told you he was in the closet, one of Jennifer O'Neill's eight husbands, right? Yes. Nick right. was a Z list director. He had a dear God, you know, this didn't even make the F list. Dear. Oh, (laughs) no, this is my truth here. Right. (laughs) We love your truth. We love it. Amazing. Yeah. I'm not saying other people felt like I felt, although I'm sure they did. But (laughs) so now you are. (laughs) But this is how I felt of how he treated me. This is my Mm -hmm. truth. So I don't have anything nice to say about him. You know, it's terrible to say. Anybody deserves to be murdered. Mm. 
Well, I have a question. <laughs> Who is it that negotiated the deal with Hugh Hefner that Chippendales was allowed to have the, the custom collars? I don't know. I, I, that was before me. I, I came in after, you know, I came in to New York. All this other stuff I knew about, but I wasn't there for it. Like the napkin deal that Steve and, and, and Nick did. And by the way, I, I was telling you about Nick. He had a production company, a children's production company, mind you. Well, that makes sense. Called Unicorn Tales. And he won two Emmys for what? it. But again, way before me. And then turns out that he's in the closet and he's, you know, heading up a male strip. Just saying. He's whatever. a busy guy. Take away from that witch. <laughs> you choose to yeah, it's we call we call that we range in right. the business yeah so exactly he he, <laughs> he made it so when he went into he went to dinner with steve and they were negotiating and i i don't know what nick had asked for but steve had said no and then steve had said uh, nick had said okay well then i want all touring rights in perpetuity steve didn't even know what the word perpetuity meant mm. um you know, because obviously he wasn't from here, but he he said, OK, fine. He wasn't worried about the, you know, a, a tour. It's like it's a club we're opening, you know, like touring wasn't even a a thing to think about. He said, I just got to get these chess pieces out of here and the dancers in. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and so that's how that's really what this came down to. Greed again. But as you'll see, as the story goes on, you know, he owns the club. Well, I created the club. You know, it's my show. No, it's my show. And there was cash being taken out of the club, at least in the New York club. I mean, do you want me to continue here or do you only wait? Yeah. To- I mean, we're, okay. we're loving hearing you chat. And I'd, yeah. I'd also love to hear your about your relationship with Steve Banerjee. Yeah, I was going to say. Steve I had a Dick great as well. relationship with Steve Banerjee, actually. <laughs> wow. It was really Luckily. nice to me. So, okay. So, <laughs> I don't know where I am with this? What was I just saying to you? Um, you were saying about the about the the right. They agreed on the uh, rights for the traveling show. They, and wrote, Steve they wrote it down care. on a napkin, Steve right? Yeah. Wrote that off. He did. It was like not not a thing, right? Because he didn't understand that. Um, he did open the club. You know, the club was open. He did come in and. The good, the one good thing that I will say about Nick, he was a, a creative person. So I knew this from New York since he was never going to be a director on Broadway. Mm. Self-admittedly, he knew that he wanted to make this show his Broadway show. Mm. So we had a box office. You could buy tickets at TKTS. You had to make reservations. Um, we had a lighting designer, we had a choreographer, we had costumes, albeit very slim costumes. We had costumes. Um, <laughs> yeah, every, they didn't last I, they, There was an act. There were five acts. We had backup dancers. Um, we had a costume girl, you know, taking care of things. <laughs> this show, like, I had to, he found a tailor. Because when I'd hire a guy, you know, you had to get fitted for your black spandex pants. So I needed a tailor. This is, do you ever see the show Starsky and Hutch? Yeah. Remember yes. Huggy Bear? Mm-hmm. Yes. With the shirt open with the gold chains and the hat and the feathers. And you thought he was a pimp. That was my, my tailor. <laughs> His name was Jerry Mondesire. 
Is that his real name? This is, I called him Jerry, and that's what it said on his card. And <laughs> mind you, I'm 25. I'm recently out of college. I'm working in the workforce a little bit. I had no clue. Even with the El Dorado parked in front of the club with the girls inside, I had no clue. Seriously, <laughs> went right over my head because I'd pick up the phone. Jerry, where are you? You need to be here. I need you to measure these new guys that came in. Well, and I saw in the first episode that these guys would end up kissing. What was it like over 500 women? A kiss night? and tip. Kiss and tip. You can't do that today. I mean, especially in a pandemic. Yeah, you can't no. do that today. Well, um, were, were they also actually having sex with people? Yes. Mm. Yes. So New York Club, much bigger deal than the L.A. Club. They rebuilt the club. There's a VIP room upstairs. And so here's how it went. Six o'clock, doors open, all the bridge and tunnel. You know what bridge and tunnel is? Yeah, I'm from New York, babe. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So all the bridge and tunnel, uh, people would come into the club. Um, I would have to, when I hired, you had to be six feet tall and you had to be ripped. That was the requirement for me to hire you. Are any of these guys straight and single and still alive? Yes. Well, yes. (laughs) I mean, the criteria, Leah, still alive. That's that's another... misconception though all these years everybody thought that all of us who worked in the club were gay which Mm. is not the case where we were straight are straight but were there gay guys in the club yes the backup dancers that we had all but one were gay um a couple of bartenders maybe a waiter here and there but my point of this is is we were a brotherhood inside this club it didn't matter. Like we were living in this bubble and it was all happening like around us. So we were all there together for one. It didn't matter who was gay, who was straight. This was 1983. It was before AIDS. So sex. Yeah. So I'll explain that to you now. Okay. Doors open. You explain sex. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, what? Un- I, I said you can explain sex finally. Uh, Leah understands it pretty well. No, just kidding. <laughs> okay. um, no, my parents keep meaning to have this conversation with me, but Jay, if you could fill me in. Nobody ever had that conversation with me, ever. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I had to figure it out on my own. Um, um, doors would open. It's, so when I hired these guys, I'd have to give out, you know, uh, handouts, you know, this is the this Chippendales. Chippendales is Disneyland for ladies. You know, this is the rules of a host, of a waiter. This is your job. So the idea was, and and again, I give this credit to Nick. When a woman walked into that club, it didn't matter what her ethnicity was, what she looked like, how tall, how big, how short. It didn't matter. When you start talking to a woman, she's the only person that you see. You treat her like she is a queen. She is the one. Nobody else can get into this conversation. It's just you and her. Leah's oh. eyes just lit up. <laughs> I mean, Leah was like, is this any woman or any woman? Who's any woman. Pay an additional. No, fee? any, any woman. There was no additional fee. This is what you were when you walked into the club. Okay. So. You start and and alcohol started to be served at six (laughs) o'clock. So you have 600 women with all these great looking guys. And and did I guess I didn't send you any pictures or I have a little sizzle reel, too, because I had 
which I'll also tell you, I wanted to, I sold this, my story, not the murder story, my story of what I'm about to tell you happened in the club because I wanted to do a television show based on this. Um, so the, the, the women would come in and start drinking. Show starts at eight o'clock. You have all these great looking guys in the club, you know, uh, just catering to all of these women. Show starts at eight, show happens. What the show is, is different guys would come out and do their act. After, like the first act was the unknown flasher. The second act I think was Conan the Barbarian. We had a construction site. And then the, the, big, the big act was the perfect man. They were taking bits and pieces from all the guys who worked in the club and like a, a, a mad scientist was creating the perfect man. And then our perfect man would come in. This is a, a great looking dude named Michael Rath. Um, and, and then the backup dancers would do it. So after they would do their act, the lights would come up, their music would start playing, and the hosts and, and uh, waiters would sit around the club because this was interactive. It was an, like a, an oval stage, you know, an oval dance floor, uh, you know, with a stage in the back. And the waiters and hosts would, you know, hold up, five, you know, a 50, a five, a 10, a dollar over the, guy, over the woman's head. And the guys would come over and kiss them. You know, it would be like a tonsillectomy that was going on. So I also have a question. I know that like now for customary strip clubs, women can attend even if it, like, could men attend in addition? Well, here's the thing. Men were not allowed in, okay? Until it went to the state liquor board. Somebody made a, a complaint and they were gonna take the liquor license away. This is right after we opened. And they, you know, said, we'll shut you down if you don't allow men in. So they allowed men in to go and sit up in the VIP room, which was above, it was in the back of the club, looking down over the, the club. Um, and it was, uh, you know, two-sided glass. So like you couldn't see in, but they could see out. So that took, took care of, of that. Um, but remember now you have 600 horny, drunk women in this club by 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock, the club reverts back to Magique. The doors open and down a city block, two ways down the city block, you have lines of guys coming in to get laid because easy, easy going on there. The women in the club, when they wanted to hook up with any of the guys in the club during the show, well, there are no men in the club. So the men's room is available, isn't it? Wow. Well, they would go into the men's room. And while you're in there, Jose, who's the valet in the club, is also dealing coke, which there was a lot of coke going on in this. It's a club. nice final touch. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the customary mints and gum and whatnot, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and a but, perfume. You know, <laughs> but, you know, and I say that this was because it was. So, you asked me when I started, I didn't want to go. Now I'm there. I'm the boss. I'm running this place. I'm 25 years old. I have all these guys working for me. There's women galore in this club. Everyone's getting laid left and right. And why wouldn't I want to be there? It was just a great place to be. 
But it was, again, it, was a bubble. it was a great place to be until it wasn't a great place to be. So when, how many years was it successful? Like going well, things, nobody was getting cyanide shots. No, well that, that again was <laughs> way after. And that so, wasn't New York, that was LA. Okay. Um, it was, so we opened October 19th, 1983 in New York. The money that was coming in was so much by the guys coming in the club and the women drinking, it was cash. The owners used to take out cash in big hefty bags out the side door and put them in the trunks of their cars in the garage. So I, I tell you that just to remind you that when we get to the murder part, it's all, it's all going to come back to the money here. Because there's no, there's no accounting of how much did we pull real, in tonight? Like real, like I had to do an audit. I was called to testify for the LA club, for Steve Banerjee, and for the New York club, which is where I worked with these guys. So I was a witness for both sides, which I still don't understand how that worked. Well, um, but just really, just really quickly, at the club's peak, how much money, if you had to guess, was actually coming through every night? Oh, I don't know. I honest, I don't even remember what it cost to get in. Uh, I don't remember, but I do know that that place was packed every night. I remember as a kid driving through in my parents' car, like we'd, we'd be going through the city and we'd see Dangerfields and we'd see Chippendales. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the crowds outside, both of them were just outrageous. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking, oh, you know what? When I grow up, it turns out I, at that time, I was only 5'11", so I went in a comedy instead of stripping. <laughs> One more inch sometimes, Dimitri, and you could have really... Yeah. Well, now I'm six feet, but now I don't, I'm not ripped. So, uh, you know, what could have been? Um, so, so, yeah. So that's what happened within side this club. Um, if you... I then- left in 85 and I moved out to LA. And And did you work for the club out here? No, no. I got back into publicity. Okay. Oh, sorry. I just want to ask a quick question. I feel like there's something that everyone wants to know. And if you're working at the most, I mean, powerful, well-known, well-attended strip club in New York or LA, Chippendales, right? Mm -hmm. What is, I'm sure you've seen and heard everything. Is there any sort of night or moment that stood out to you that was the wildest thing you'd seen at this club? One night I heard uh, in the locker room, there was a, 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 a bathroom in the locker room and these two women, I think this had to be like after the show, and these two women were there and she said, I just got fucked by this guy from Brooklyn. And the other woman says, well, I just gave a blowjob to this guy from Queens. And said so things like Cover in the five boroughs. Nice. Yeah. Um, I remember us going to the roof of the club, you know, during the summer and taking women up to the roof of the club to have sex and perform all kinds of different acts. And what I remember most about, one of the most memorable things about this is the Roosevelt tram came right over the club. So we would be looking up at the people in the tram as the people in the tram were looking down 
at what was going on, what we were doing. Wow. <laughs> you know, I tell people like, so when I wanted to sell my, this is a show, this is a show, right? This is what made Chippendales the phenomenon is what happened inside the club. I, I term it as Breaking Bad meets Mad Men, like the characters <laughs> of, Ma- of Mad Men and the craziness of Breaking Bad, except you're not having meth as a backdrop. You've got sex, drugs, and rock and roll as the backdrop. You have Chippendale strippers. Um, This was just a time that was, the the thing that I said, hire a writer, hire your best writer. Let them come up with all kinds of stories of things that you think might've happened in this club. And they do. Give me your best story. I'll beat that 10 times. Because the truth is stranger than fiction here. So even though at the beginning when you guys were all there and Nick and and Banerjee have the conversation, they're not worried about tours. You know, it's in the back of his mind. Tours ultimately start to happen. Yeah. So what 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 had happened? They everybody was fighting, as I said, nobody really got along with Nick. So the L.A. uh, Steve didn't talk to him. The New York people didn't talk to him. And it was me. I was in the middle because they would only talk to me. And then he would only talk to me to to deliver messages to them. It was really like childish. Mm. Uh, When Steve, when Nick wanted to come back to LA, like to take a couple of days to come home, he had to have permission from the New York club to leave so that he was still going to be getting paid. I had to write those letters and get them signed off on for his permission. But when he wanted, so he wanted out. He wanted to take the tour, uh, uh, club, uh, the, the guys and do a tour and go out on the road. So I had to write letters. I had to type individual letters because no computers back then and, and send it to all the hotels in Vegas and, and uh, Atlantic City. And I sent a letter to Showtime. Showtime wasn't what Showtime is today. It was more of a novelty, you know, for special. Um, and I still have all of those letters that I wrote. <laughs> and so he wanted out at that point. I had a big blow up with Nick. And so I left in 85. I moved here. Um, so when he was murdered, I got a call that night. And I was actually at a red car- on a red carpet with my partner at that time, Nancy Ryder. And with our client, Michael J. Fox, we had a big opening up at Universal Studios. There was no city walk at the time. You know, you could drive right up in front of the movie theaters. And so I, I was there. I got home. I got the call. Jay, did you hear that Nick got killed? And I'm like, the first thing out of my mouth was, wasn't me. <laughs> and so nobody knew who it was. But the point of that, it wasn't me. It was like, it could have been anybody. It, it, you know, he had enough enemies that it But did everyone kind of think it was Steve Banerjee no. behind it all? No. Really? No. no one really thought that. No. They thought it was the mafia hit or I, I don't know because again, I was here and I yeah. was far away from that, but I never heard anything about Steve. But when I found out it was Steve, it all made sense to me. I, I understood because I knew of the greed. I knew of the money. I knew that Nick wanted to leave. And so how that happened, so Steve put a hit out on Nick. He had a a guy go into his office in Midtown Manhattan, walk up to Nick at four o'clock in the afternoon, 
come right up to him, put a gun to his head and, and kill him. So I have an ignorant question. How do you just find someone to put a hit out on? Steve somebody? was evidently a bad guy and he knew people, okay? Mind you, had I known the day that I was yelling at Steve on the phone saying, this is the arrogant New Yorker, I didn't get my cod pieces back, the light up cod pieces, right? From the cuffs and collars. Some of them are, what's the matter with you people in LA? Are you stupid? Does the sun turn your brains to mush? Why haven't I gotten this? Thinking back now, I probably shouldn't have yelled at him because he the murder. <laughs> could have been dead. Like, didn't know and yeah, and yeah, the sun does turn our brains to mush. Yeah, yeah, I think you had a that? point. So he was like, I can't kill him for that. Of course. But again, right. the arrogant 25-year-old New Yorker, or I won't say arrogant, I'll say aggressive uh, New Yorker. But, and Steve, he used to just show up at the club. He, he was where he'd wear a... Um, a dark brown suit and sandals. And he would just show up in the club before the, the show would start um, to check on his investment. But he would always take me to lunch or dinner with his wife and children. You know, he was a really nice guy to me. I didn't know that he was a murderer. I didn't know that he had other clubs here at the very beginning before New York set on fire because he didn't want uh, competition. I mean, with a so, dark brown suit and, and sandals, right. you probably figured something was. And off. you remember the big? Yeah, you, know, you wear a, a you know a tie, but they were like the wide, the wide tie. So like the knot was really wide, <laughs> you know, and the tie was really you know it was a wide tie also. And then I, I read this article in the Sun that he hired you know an assassin nicknamed Strawberry, and he would have people go and inject these other dancers at these no, other No, it was clubs. just that one. It was just that one. <laughs> it was just that one. So that story, so after Nick was killed, nobody knows who did this. Okay. Two of the dancers from the LA club wanted to leave and go open and go do a, a start a tour in England. Steve found out about it. He hired this guy. And I don't know, you know, this was after I left. So this is all me hearing after the fact, but he hired this guy to fill up a Visine bottle full of cyanide so he can travel with it on the plane, go to England. And he was going to supposed to go up to the, the guys and go, like, oh, how are you? And, you know, give him a hug and, and, and stab him in the neck with the, you know, with cyanide, you know, and like a little needle. Um, but the guy that, that Steve hired was an FBI informant. So Steve got caught, he went to prison. While he's in prison, he makes a deal with the feds saying, I will admit to having Nick DeNoia killed, which was the first time anybody knew that he was involved. It's probably except for the people who actually did the murder. Um, hmm. Uh, but my so they wife, weren't even questioning him on that at right, that no, point. He just offered my it wife up. And my kids, you know, they can't lose the house. They have to be protected. So they make the deal, sign the deal in his prison cell or wherever they in a room. And he goes back to his cell the next morning that he had to go and appear in front of a judge to get sentenced. When they went to his jail cell to get him, they found him hanging in his jail cell. He committed suicide. 
So And that was so that his family could keep the club, right? Well, I don't know if it was keeping the club, but like they wouldn't lose the house. They wouldn't lose the money. You know, I've heard that, you know, Steve had put money away in Swiss banks for, for his family, but I don't know, you know? Right, because if you're not sentenced, then nothing really changes. But the other thing was, I, I mean, it's all kind of devastating. I, I mean, it seems like Steve Banerjee was a really twisted guy, successful, but willing, he's so competitive and willing to murder to make sure that he, you know, didn't have any competition and or anyone that got in his way was not in his way anymore. But, you know, that seems almost like a noble deed to make sure that your family is taken care of. Yeah, in the end, yeah, he was, look, he, in my experience with him personally, he was very attentive to his wife and kids. You know, like I said, he was nice to me, but I think you have to, you learn very, very quickly as you're in that bubble, right? So he learned very quickly, the, the money came so much so fast that now you have to be looking around, you know, who's stealing from me? What is this? I have to pay attention to this, 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 and this. You know, when it came down to the Chippendales calendars, Steve is the person who handpicked each guy in that calendar. And he refused to put anybody in the New York club in the calendar because he said they, he said they were ugly. You know, they were, they weren't as good looking as the guys in LA. Mm. So he had his hand in every single thing that went on. So you become paranoid. You, you go to, you, I, I would assume you want to protect your interest. So if he felt that Nick, was stealing from him, which I'm sure he did, by taking money out of his pocket, by taking on a touring show. What do you mean touring show? What touring thing? Well, you signed it in perpetuity. What does perpetuity mean? You know, I didn't know anything about a tour because when he signed this napkin deal, there really was no, there was no tour. There was, it was about getting a club up and running. Who was thinking tour? And Leah, to your point of him being like looking out for his family and this and that, he probably felt as he when people were stealing from him or he felt that he probably felt like they were stealing from his wife and his kids. And that was their money as well. So yeah. I imagine that probably falls into the same, you know, defensive thing. Right. And I just read something that his son is now a stripper. Yes. You know, which I'm sure Steve would not have been happy about. Starting Strippendales? Yeah, Strippendales. <laughs> That's actually it. But look, you know, the other, the, the other thing I, I think of why Chippendales was such a success, and again, this was Nick's thing, because he'd say this all the time. The, the, it wasn't, back then, it was, you know, oh, a strip club, you know, guys go into a sleazy bar and, and you know, women take off all their clothes. This wasn't like that. Nick wanted this to be more burlesque, like Gypsy Rose Lee is what he would say, mm. because there's more erotica in your imagination than in actually seeing. It's like, you know, it's the buildup. It's the build. Dude, what is it going to be? What is it going to be? Oh, my God. It's more of that rather than the actor, oh, just come and take your clothes. There's, there's a show. There's a story around it. And I think that's what really made the club, it, 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 you know, it, it wasn't branded as sleaze. 
you know? It was, it was entertainment. It was a show. I remember you said, you said Nick, well, they used to call him Nick the Dick. Now in the movie Bachelor Party with Tom Hanks, they went to a, a Chippendales Ted Club and somebody was introduced. They said, is it Nick or Mr. Dick? So now I used to think it was just, they, they went with the rhyme, but now I wonder if that was an homage to, to your guy, Nick. Maybe. I can't, if I told you some of the things that he did in that club, I mean, it's just, you know, thinking you can't say and talk to people like that today, but back then you shouldn't talk to people like that, you know? Like I remember one, one afternoon, two things I'll tell you, the day that the mafia came into the club, I was downstairs, um, you know, talking to a couple of the guys and these two guys came in and again, the aggressive New Yorker is like, can I help you? You know, it's like, yeah, we're here to collect. Like, to collect what? You know, almost like saying, who the fuck are you? Like, what are you doing here? And they said, we're here to collect. And it took me like maybe half a second to realize who they were. I'm like, oh, you need to see the guys upstairs. <laughs> and I knew who, who they were. And then one afternoon with Nick, this is just one of the examples. Um, uh, I have him, you know, he had to like approve everybody. Like I bring guys in. Okay, take your shirt off. And so we were downstairs in front of a lot of people. And Nick stood there like this and he went, mmm, delicious. It was like, ooh, you know, that's just disgusting. Yeah, that is disgusting. Yeah. Also, Jay, I'm so sorry. We are running yeah, out of time And I'm today. sorry. I started this all on no, you guys, no. and I apologize. No, no well, this apologize. was amazing. No, amazing. Please tell everybody where they can find more information about you on this story, because I know that we don't want this to be over, and everyone's going to want more well, details. All my socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are at J-A-Y-D-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z, J-D Schwartz. And, and that's where we're posting and 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 you'll see awesome pictures and and whatnot and i'll see if i can just send you some stuff for you to look at that you might find amusing oh yeah please do we and, would love that and congratulations on the show if you know congratulations is the appropriate word and then also we hope that your personal show gets picked up thank you very very much and this <laughs> show airs monday nights on a &E. Monday Perfect. nights at A and E. We've already watched all four episodes, oh, and okay. I'll just I'll just tell you, the audience, you must watch this. This is a must see. Every minute is exciting, excruciating, wild. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jay. Well, thank you guys. Have a good one. Bye, Bye Jay. Thank Bye. you. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That was incredible. So good. I love was like, can I be direct? Uh, I was like, like, kind of hoping you would. Oh, my God. So, guys, you guys have to make sure that you tune in to Secrets of the Chippendale Murders so good we on A&E. watched it annie uh, i think the thing that was most eye-opening from that documentary was seeing what you could bring on an airplane <laughs> they were like so we brought our guns and our heroin across the country i'm like <laughs> what it's so good but I, I know we have to wrap for today so we have a couple of things that we need to discuss very quickly one of which is anna delvey is being deported to germany yeah that, you know that was not as important as what is coming next um i am gonna take a a quote out of um out of our last guest can i be direct as possible guys <laughs> please teddy please be direct today is my last day co-hosting on real-time crime i am so sorry you guys i love Leah and sometimes Dimitri and all of you guys. So love much. me sometimes or love sometimes Dimitri. Where's the comma fall there? Um, it depends on the day. <laughs> okay. Um, I originally when I signed up with you guys, I had more time to be perfectly honest, and I thought that I could manage it all, and it's just gotten to a place where 
I'm doing so many different podcasts for two teas in a pod. And then there's this and my family and my actual business. And I just feel like I can't dedicate the amount to crime that I want to. So from here on out, it's going to have to be me tuning in, listening for these updates to get all of the crumbs because you guys are incredible. I can't wait to hear the upcoming episodes and thank you for letting me be a part of it for this portion. And if there's ever like a really super juicy case that you know that I'd be obsessed with, you know where to find me. And can we also have you, if you do happen to commit a crime, can we have the exclusive? <laughs> yes, okay. we can, which you know what, let's hope I don't, but we can't make any promises. <laughs> right. Well, this is a crime, Teddy leaving the podcast. So we do have the exclusive on it. And <laughs> <laughs> Teddy, we're going to miss you so much. Um, you know, I'm not a very sentimental person, but you did cry last night. So you could cry again if you want. Well, she's probably all tapped Hot out. Red handed. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all cried out. But I, um, I, we love you so much. And we're so grateful that you were able to join us for the first leg of this journey. And you know that if there is any sort of crime related to the housewives, you're coming on immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and we're so proud of you. And we're so excited about two T's and how successful the show has gotten. And we'll miss you very much. Thank you so much. And uh, I can't wait to hear all of the other upcoming crimes coming out and your comedy. And you guys, I know we'll, we'll talk off here but we'll talk i offline. love all of you guys thank you so much and uh do your song leah we need one final i will song. and i just want to let the listeners know we're going to have a bunch of very interesting and special guests lined up no one will be able to fill teddy's shoes obviously sorry to everyone that now knows that information that comes on the podcast but <laughs> but we will we will have a lot of really interesting crime experts other uh, crime podcast hosts that you probably know and love if you're true crime obsessed other very well-known comedians coming on here and special guests i have a uh, friend who's in the nft community who's in anon who's coming on so that's going to be super exciting so stay tuned because while teddy is leaving us the podcast is not dead okay um <laughs> And if you want to leave us a voicemail, you know, just me and sometimes and then and then sometimes, sometimes, Teddy, you never know. You just never know. Uh, make sure to call in. Yeah. 866-21-CRIME. That's 866-21-CRIME. 866-21-CRIME. That's 866-212-7463. And you can find me at Leah Lamar, L-A-E-A-H-L-A-M-A-R-R on all things on the internet. TikTok, five R's, don't ask why. And if you want to find out show dates, LeahLamar.com or my Instagram. And Teddy, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at Teddy Mellencamp or on Two Teas and a Pod or All In by Teddy. I wonder if sometimes, sometimes Teddy's available on Instagram. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes Teddy. It's going to work it out. And sometimes Dimitri is still not sometimes Dimitri on Instagram, so don't bother following him. Right. Just as Dimitri Pappas. <laughs> just his name. Ugh. All right. We love you guys. Stay safe. Don't commit any crimes. See you next week. Mwah! It's real time crime. It's real time crime. It's real. I mean, is it actually real time crime? Are we solving anything, or is that just a thing we say? It's a thing we say. Got it. Okay. See you next week for more real time crime, only on iHeartRadio. 
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich man Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts <laughs> 